0: If you were with me yesterday, you saw this slide because the first two are the same. All this says is that I've been teaching going on a very long time right now. Um, And it's been in multiple settings, um, urban, suburban, private, public, uh, preschool, kindergarten, you name it. So um, that's kind of my teaching history. And these are the things that I love and love to do. So, quick question, how many of you are preschool? How many are kindergarten? Okay, any first grades, just in case. All right. Um, Also, how many of you are currently doing thematic unit planning? Okay. How many of you do it for like a week or two? How many of you already do it for a month? So I've got a few people that want, that are already potentially looking to extend that. Or you need more ideas if you're already doing it. So, here we go. Oh, no, we're gonna go back. Um, Before we kind of get into it, look at someone who's near you and tell them your biggest complaints with potentially planning for month-long units. So if you already do it, what are the frustrations you have? If you don't do it, the things that have held you back from potentially extending your units that long. Go. Yes, I feel like the some when Okay, anyone <laughs> want to... Tell what your biggest complaint is or concern? The kids getting bored after a couple of weeks. Kids getting bored. Okay. Time. Time. Like, this is only my second year. I'm still kind of planning week by week. I can't imagine trying to plan a whole month ahead. Okay. Any other concerns? Sometimes just finding goods like. Activities and stuff to do with themes that don't have as much like we just did apples and there's so much to do with apples And then other themes, sometimes it's harder to find enough stuff that seems like good material for apples. Right any other Concerns that you have? Yeah, is it really what the kids want to be learning? Cool. Right is it what they're interested in so, okay. okay, so Here's the thing, if you don't run a month long unit well, these are all very legitimate concerns, right? They're real, it's not like we're just sitting here making excuses for why we wouldn't do it. They are things that you really do need to think through as a teacher. So um, hopefully today my, my goal is that we'll address some of those and you will come out with a framework that will help you um, mitigate those concerns. So as you're planning, you have enough activities to last that long, you have enough activities that there's a wide variety of types of activities so that even if the particular topic is not your student's favorite, you are guiding them in learning in a way that is exciting for them and expanding the things that they um, might not realize they actually will enjoy, right? Time, works both ways, right? You don't have enough time to do month-long unit planning, but if you don't do month-long unit planning, you don't have enough time to get everything in either. It's kind of a double-edged sword. Either way you look at it, time is gonna be a factor in that problem, which we're hoping to figure out. And what was, was there another one? Sorry if I didn't get to it. Okay, so. If you do month-long planning, or if you don't, what would be some of the benefits of it or some of your favorite parts to it? You can tell someone who's sitting next to you. Go. okay so let's share out what were some of the highlights that you maybe even didn't think of before this i'll share ours um we did trees and so we started out the year with and so you saw them in the green state and now they've started to change color so you were able to use that time Mm -hmm. to have the kids really identify oh they really are changing and actually see the process of it. right I feel like it makes you less stressed out because you have so much of it planned at the beginning of the month instead of scrambling at the last minute to get things done huge benefit actually helps you. It's a lot of work at the beginning but it does pay off Mm -hmm. anything else okay so here's what I found once I did it when I started in preschool over a decade ago um, I was new to it I had come from kindergarten and so the school I came to was using basically creative curriculum which is considered a framework right So they give you basic general guidelines, you fill in the rest, which is kind of a standard for preschool no matter where you go. It is a benefit and it is also one of the hardest things to do because nobody gives you what you're supposed to do, right? So what I was finding was that um, I was running around like a chicken with my head chopped off because every other week I was changing out materials and trying to find the next new thing and trying to stay ahead of my kids and I was like, this is insane. We are not really learning anything well. So here were my complaints um, before I did month-long units. I thought, oh my goodness, my kids are gonna be bored by week three or four. I don't know how I'm gonna fill all this time and keep them interested in the same topic. And I will probably be bored by week two or three if we keep doing this. Then I thought, um, if I pare down, How am I going to hit all of the preschool standards and cover enough topics before I send them on? We're not covering enough, are we? And then, again, same concerns as everyone. How do you have enough materials? Um, Because also, just so you know, I am not a worksheet-based classroom. I am a play-based classroom, so materials, If you saw me walking in this morning, I have suitcases of them right now, right? Mm -hmm. There is just something to having the physical, tangible things that they can touch and do. So, as I've been going on, these are the benefits that i found. Going for month-long units means that your kids are actually going to use the materials you have in your room because they will get repetition and practice. If you put them, introduce the material put it in your centers for a week or two, you will have some kids that will have never touched that material, ever, because that center is not in their interest area, or because after the first week, they didn't have a chance to get in there. Also, if you don't introduce a material to them before you put it in a center for free play or use it for another group time, they won't go pick it up. They won't go look for it. They don't go to a center and look at your shelf and say, what haven't I used? They go to a center, find their favorite thing, pull it out. So you have some kids that are only doing one activity for an entire week or two, maybe two or three, right? But if you can spend a month doing these things, there's a better chance of them using the material and using it more than once. We all know that in good preschool education, you cannot have a child do something once and expect them to have mastered it. So if you're flipping over your materials that frequently, they're not getting that deep learning where they know how to use something and why they're using it. So that's the next part. Giving them time gives them time to do this. Explore and experiment. Because that's the other thing. The goal of preschool now is not to have them um, memorize, right? We're not teaching them to memorize letter names and sounds before they go on. We've figured out that you can't do that. The pendulum has swung back to remembering, oh, play and social-emotional learning is really important. Cognitive skills, really important. Your preschoolers and kindergartners need to be able to know how to use something and why they are using it. And if they only play or learn with it once, they won't get to that point. They will get to that point if they've played with it three or four times, and the next time you say to them, how else can you use this material? What else can you do with this? So you, when you're picking materials for your classroom, my suggestion would be that you pick materials that are versatile, that are very, very open-ended. And if you can, even if there's a game that has rules, You show kids a different way to do it. So now you're getting more length and time out of your one material because you're not just using it in one way. So um, here's the other thing. You can cover standards without gaps here. Think about, um, as Carly said, you get to a unit, and it's very narrow in terms of its, I would say like, topic, right? There are some top, some topics where you think, okay, this is super heavy in a math and science kind of theme. This is super heavy in literacy. Now think about what happens when you pick themes back to back to back to back that all focus on math and science. What are you missing out on? You are missing out on all kinds of literacy, recall, problem solving, social skills. So the goal of month-long units is I'm going to pick this topic, and when I'm picking my materials and my activities, I'm going to make sure that I have a healthy balance of literacy activities, math activities, science activities, and gross motor, fine motor, you name it. Now, even in month-long planning, you're still going to get certain topics that lend themselves more to one standard or another or a group of standards, and that's okay, but if you plan out your themes correctly, you would have a month that maybe is a little more heavy in literacy and language, and then your next month will be a little more heavy in math or science or social studies. So when you map those out, there is a process and a reason to why you're doing it. And then it also gets the kids back to the how and why of what you're doing. So, here is our um, list of month-long units. Because we are preschool and we can have kids starting at age three, I can have kids up to almost a full three years. I have some that's, whose birthdays are September 4, right? Then you get these kids that come in October and November. They're basically with you for two and a half months or two and a half years. So, um, we do not do the same themes back-to-back years. I am on a three-year cycle intentional. So um, our first year, our first month of preschool is always a welcome to preschool unit. Um, this particular year happens to focus more heavily on colors and shapes. In other years, we've done several um, other kinds of themes, but the entire goal of my first six weeks is teaching you routine. That is the only goal. If I have to scrap everything else, that is what I'm going for, because in order to run a month-long theme in a play-based classroom, you have to have kids who can function in your room independently, who do not need you to know where to go next. They just can't, so your first six weeks has to be teaching them how to use your room and what to do if they do need help so that you can be running small groups while they're doing it. Um, and not that they don't ever need my help, but I'm going to get you to the point where you can do it as much as possible on your own. So um, in your in your packet, I included um, a sample of the current lesson plan format that we use. I gave you our first year um, map. So it's this, yeah, uh, let's see. It's year two. So it's got all of our themes for it. And here's how I started my month-long planning. I needed a scope and sequence to keep it all straight. So when I go to look at planning out my month-long unit, I have the theme, the holidays that will occur in that month, because that's another benefit of month-long units, is you can study the holiday without making that your theme. It's okay if your theme is not Thanksgiving for two weeks. It's okay. You can incorporate those activities in. So then we also pick out the things we're going to do at Table Toys, um, an author or a nursery rhyme or fairy tale that we've got that's going to match up with that unit, our progression of letters and sounds, our math numbers, how we're going to journal and what we're doing, um, any deep play or um, kind of, parent involvement things, field trips, any special classroom activities that we have going on, and cooking. We cook once a month. So you can use that as a framework for how you would monthly plan. You are welcome to take that one and fill, you know, try and fill it in as you go. So do you do a full day program? (laughs) That's a really good question. Um, I am full day and half day combined. So sometimes my students go home midday, and it varies year to year how many and who. Um, and they can t- attend anywhere from two to five days a week. And they're all in the same room. So. in varied ages? or Three through five. Okay. Yep. yep. I have a quick question, too. When you say you cook, you, your school must have an oven or... Cooking is a loose term. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm trying to We had an oven, and then they did away with it because of the cost. Oh, uh, yep. Like insurance costs, so it's Well, we can use a crack pot or... Yes. Okay. So some of our, very actually very few things of ours use an actual oven. Okay. Um, a lot of my activities, you can use like a hot pot. Okay. Did you ever have one of those in college? Now I'm dating myself. Um, Things can be cooked in there. Um, Some of our things are like making pudding and so then you need the fridge. Um, Cooking is more a thing for, we're gonna be making something edible and using measuring and using following a recipe and uh, kind of more the process of how you would be doing that. So don't let cooking scare you, it is not always cooking. And sometimes a griddle, Sometimes, um, sometimes it is an oven, but very few. Any other questions that you have as of now? Okay. So we're going to start going through a, the checklist that I gave you. Feel free to write on it. I have more copies if you need. So those are the things that were in our map. So if you want to look at your checklist, go ahead. I have gotten to the point where I just kind of do this naturally but then um, four years ago shortly after I started directing preschool at Southwest we were one room and they were hoping for seven kids to launch the program and I ended up with 29 Mm -hmm. so then the next year we were up at 33 or 34 students and we had to split to two classrooms and so I realized that I had to be able to train new staff without ever being in their room because there was no time built in for me during my day to teach and then time for me to also go and mentor in that capacity so I started thinking about how I map out my months and just made up a checklist because I thought I have to be able to give you a tool to match me because we're supposed to be the same so this is what we have I first start by going through my month and making sure that I have marked off any days that are not our normal schedule. We have, this month, we typically have picture day, grandparents day, CEA, and everything else under the sun. Happens to fall in October. Um, Here's what you don't want to have happen when you're monthly planning. You do not want to get to the point where you've mapped out your month, planned every day, and then you realize One of those days is a day off and now you have to squeeze everything in and restructure how to do it. So do yourself a favor, cross off in big, bold letters, like whatever you don't need to plan. I still, to this day, over 10 years later, still miss that and have to go back. And it's really frustrating. So we go through that. Then I take everything in my room that could possibly... um, in with my theme and put it into my centers list so I literally before the month starts go through my manipulatives and take out everything I went through last week and took out everything that could be tied to circus because that's what we're coming up in on November if I don't do that I forget a material and then I don't use it so I would recommend going through there and doing anything now here's the other thing when you're pulling materials for centers Circus. Think about what's at a circus. Start shouting them out. Animals. Animals. Tigers. What else? Clowns. balancing. Balancing. Okay, so here's the other thing you need to think. What overlaps with other themes, right? There's not a lot of circus materials out there. There just aren't. There are a few. So when I'm going through and pulling, I'm pulling anything that has to do with zoo and jungle animals as well. Because at a circus, you have lions and tigers and you have those clowns. So I'm thinking of any way I can incorporate dolls and kind of dress them up that way. Um, that was kind of the, like my pull for that. Then we have all these balancing acts. So for your gross motor times, you are pulling out as many things as you can, like romper stampers, balance beams, anything that looks like a trick. We have um, scoop cups, it's a cup with a ball attached to it and they swing it and try and catch it so we use that for our deep play of circus because this is actually a theme that is very heavily based in movement it is a, it is like a gross motor uh unit inside cheers to that one your administrators will look like you're at you like you're nuts because you're hauling in all your outdoor equipment and using it inside and the kids think it's blast. when you take it outside So fill in anything in here that can possibly fit that category because you're going to want to put it in your room and, again, have that bulk of material available. That's also the way that you um, get kids who potentially aren't interested in a topic interested in it because you've now pulled in animals. You've now pulled in gross motor movement. You've now pulled in writing activities that go with those things. So then I go through and um, actually uh, plan out my small groups. So this form looks all slightly different than the one that's on my lesson plan template now, um, only because I wanted to show you in a little bit more detail. Because we are play based, I do not do worksheets. And so I would um, kind of humbly ask that if you are a worksheet group, try to get away from them. If you are a handwriting without tears person in preschool try to get rid of it okay Um, here's why preschoolers don't learn much from copying and tracing they just don't if you go to a literacy workshop they'll tell you that that is not a a very effective way to teach kids to write on their own so here's what happens in um, in my setup we send kids off to centers and we take a small group of kids to work with my aide and with me. Now remember, we spent the first six weeks teaching them how to do their room on their own. So I, by the time I start pulling groups, they have spent at least six weeks in centers with my aide and I supervising them. And I have a schedule for you in there that shows you how we do that. Um, because you cannot run small groups in a room if you have not taught kids how to play and learn independently. They will come up to you every two (laughs) seconds asking for help, and you will be sending them away, and you'll never get your small group done. Here's the other thing. If you are um, pulling kids from play, they get really crabby, right? They do not like to be interrupted, and you shouldn't be interrupting them. So I take my small group the very first 10 to 15 minutes of play so that they have not been in a center yet, they know that they come to me, they will be with me for 10 to 15 minutes, and then they can go and learn and they will not have to come back to me unless I need to catch them up on something that they've missed or that they want to finish that they haven't done yet. Um, but have no fear, even without worksheets, we are doing writing, okay? You, your writing center is designed to accomplish writing without a worksheet. But the small group, we journal once a week, and then we also do a math activity once a week. They are usually landing in these small groups because those activities are typically done the best with four to five kids, right? They're the hardest activities to complete. So um, we start there. But then there's also times where I wanna put in a game and I don't have enough materials to cover an entire class, I don't have enough adult hands to cover, an entire class and so what I'll do is that week I might bump my math activity if it's okay to do as a whole group out of that spot put in a game like Candyland and then a journaling activity and so um, the teacher would do Candyland and run that group for the whole week and then my aide would run journaling or vice versa and so we can you can mix it up a little bit and get things kind of moving that way so Um, There's also times where I bump out my math activity for doing deep play. How many people have done deep play? You're a given. (laughs) Okay, so basically deep play is formatted on kids learning by acting out roles for a certain scenario. For instance, uh, we turned our dramatic play center into an apple orchard this month. But we didn't just set up an apple orchard and send them in, right? In the past, I've run Deep Play where I have two people, and they're both in a role, like a customer and the farm worker. And then I have a parent volunteer, ideally, who's helping facilitate that interchange. They are prompting language. They're helping kids, like, what would you say next? How would you respond oh well then tell them because you have to teach preschoolers how to talk to each other with those roles they don't naturally do it so you do also have to train parent volunteers that they can't talk for the kids they're prompting the kids to talk to each other and you're facilitating those roles Um, so in the past that is where I had started However, Jackie Copps has the corner on the market for Pocket of Preschool. If you have never used her Dramatic Play Centers, look at them. They are amazing. She has structured it even more than that. Um, and so we've started using her Dramatic Play Centers, and they're really inexpensive. You can get a lot out of them. So then um, that... You do need need even more parent volunteers because there are many other facets to that play. They are using all kinds of materials that can facilitate language, literacy, math, and science, and social-emotional learning all at the same time. So you take that deep play unit for her and break it into chunks, and we've started putting that in our guided discovery time. So for apples, the very first time, they were painting a backdrop. It was apple trees, and they were making a banner that said apple orchard, and that was our that was our group activity for that day. A parent volunteer came in, facilitated that. The next day, I had it up on the wall. Apple apples were velcroed to it. And the next small group activity was, you're picking apples off of those trees and then sorting them. So the apples I put on had small, medium, large, red, yellow, green, and I had different types of apples. Some were foam, some were pom-poms, some were, I don't remember, maybe construction paper that was laminated. So there were at least three different ways to sort them. Oh, and size, yes. So they were pulling those off, sorting them, and then weighing actual apples. So we've started breaking apart her units and putting them into this space as well. So however you decide, you want to pick the activities that go here to be the activities that you need done in groups of four to five students and a teacher is facilitating them, right? So if you want to see up here, I had the privilege of teaching my own two daughters for the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. These are their journals. Um, By the end of year two, I have kids that are trying to sound out words, I have letters that look like they are real, and it is all done without worksheets. They can do it. So here's the best top two ways for writing um, independently. You give kids a box. So if you look in your packet, there are two pages that look something like this. And they look totally in, like, not worth anything. But they are. Um, I start, these are my journal pages every time, every year, no matter what theme we are on. Same process all the time. My kids have a journal name card. So it has their picture, it has their name, and it makes like a stand-up tent, somewhat like this recording one, right? So they're looking at their template, and trying to make it underneath. The first couple times they do this, it is rough. I mean, you will want to pull your hair out. Because there are some kids who say, I don't know how. Well, honey, look here, try to make it whatever you think it is. Do you know why they don't, they don't know how? Because parents do it for them. And if they don't know how, someone makes sure that they can. And so they don't even try. So your first couple times of journaling is, I just want you to make what you think it looks like. And that is your encouragement to them. Just make a mark. Because once kids make one mark, you will get them to write more. They will continue. But they have this intense fear over making the very first mark on the page, and they don't want to be wrong. Already at 3, 4, and 5, they want to be right. And so you're going to really have to prompt them through that. So, the sample, they write their name. Then they draw whatever you are drawing. We start at the beginning of the year with pre-writing strokes. That is the only thing we do. First week. Before we start journaling, take your writing finger, put it up in the air. Make your line go down. Right? Do it again. Put your writing finger up in the air. Make your line go down. Now make me a short line. Short. Now make me a long line. Long. You have now gotten them to do position words top to bottom you have now gotten them to talk about measuring long and short you have also started getting to find out who can follow a direction and who's tracking with you Um, and then we put pencil to paper then they do that on their paper start up at your name box make me a long line make a short line make a medium line switch your colors now you've got color do it again can you make long and short lines we go through all the pre-writing strokes. So the next week is across. Then we do curved lines, then we do angle lines. We will have some kids who will never get to angle lines. You, they'll just be practicing and practicing because they can't cross that midline yet. It's okay, persevere, they'll get there. <laughs> so then we take start those, those lines and start turning them into shapes. So while we're journaling, it's like, okay, take your one line, curve it around and make a circle. Then we take two lines and we make a heart. And while we're doing that, we sometimes put stickers on because if you put a heart sticker on, they can go around it and make the two lines, right? Triangles are tricky because they've got the angles. So you might have to give them a dot and a dot, connect the dot, 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 connect the dot. By the end, they're trying to make their own, right? So after we take all those shapes, then by November and December, we're starting to actually use those things to journal about our theme. So like, oh let's see, this month we're gonna take those shapes and make clown faces. Perfect way to start incorporating those. And by December, when we study family and pets, they'll be using that, those shapes and things to make people and pets. Okay? At the bottom, they need to write a story about their picture. At the beginning of the year, it is really, really um, laughable because it's, I made lines, right? I made this, or I love mommy. (laughs) Yes, I know you love mommy, honey. Tell me about your picture. (laughs) Um, And so then you can prompt language and see who's answering your questions with a response that makes sense because as they're journaling, they're hopefully tying what they're saying to what they're drawing. Wait, you're scribing what they say. About? They first try and write their own letters. And then I write at the bottom what they dictate to me. So again, getting them to make those first marks is really rough. But once they do, you start figuring out who's making scribbles, who's making linear lines to communicate, who's trying to make mock letters, who's actually making letter strings, and who's trying to sound out what they're writing. And you will see that progression as you go. You really will. So then we use all of those things again at our sign-in. We use them in our writing center. We use them um, usually by now. Even yeah, even this month in October, I have kids that I can legibly see their name, and they've been in school for maybe ten weeks. So that's how we start fitting in guided discovery. Then I move on to my large groups. This is what it used to look like you have, so this gives you two templates, because you don't have enough materials to always do the entire class at the same time, sometimes you have to think, if I take this group, do I have enough for half of my class? Will my aide have another activity that's good for half, and the next day, flip-flop? Right? half half go to her, half go to me. Or like this, this day I had exited out because it's a it's an activity we can all do together, we don't have to split, it works well. So then you start plugging in your activities that um, you want to fit in. When you're planning this, you again are going for the goal of I'm not doing everything that focuses on math in this entire week, unless it's a project that builds on itself, right? There are some projects you wanna build on. But in general, because I have kids that can be two or five days, on Monday I would do like a math activity. Tuesday I would do a science activity. Wednesday I might do a language activity. The next week I am not putting the same type of activity on Monday because otherwise my kids who come on Tuesday never get it. So depending on your setup, you have to think about how you're going to flip-flop those. Ooh, and I forgot to tell you, I do the same thing for Guided Discovery. One week I do journaling on Monday, Tuesday. The next week I do it on Wednesday, Thursday. It also gives a little variety. They don't. It kind of feels a little different to kids, but then I'm also making sure that if I have a kid who never comes on Monday, Tuesday, that they're getting at least journaling every other week or math every other week. When you say you have kids that can come for two days, are those like the parents pick the days? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they've tried making it that it is Tuesday, Thursday, and then like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But I have kids that can come Monday through Thursday as well, and kids that can come Monday through Friday. Okay. And they they do make exceptions if you have a work conflict, like some parents just say, like I can't make that work. Can my three days be Tuesday, <coughs> Wednesday, Thursday? Yes, yes they're they full days. Is that correct? Half and full. Half and yes. So this is all happening in my morning. This is my entire morning. Because then my afternoon gets um, another group time, another center time, another recess time. So when I am picking materials for these, I am trying to pick materials and lessons that I want every kid to have at some point, right? Or as many kids as possible. Uh, My afternoons tend to be, even more project-based learning, things that um, you might consider a little bit more enrichment, you know, extra practice. So if I I've got my main activities here, also because I usually have an extra set of hands in the afternoon, I am sometimes on my own, and that changes the way you plan as well. So then I go through and I write in all of my routine kind of things. We have a home project every week. Um, It is, we do not call it homework, but it is. Here's why I do it. It is not required. I don't require that you send it back, except if we need to use it in the classroom. So, at the beginning of the month, I usually send home a project that's tied to our theme. For instance, this month with apples, it was a paper plate with a worm, and there's always an instruction sheet on it, and it says, this worm is tired of eating apples. What else can he eat from your house? And so they, out of a magazine or like a sales ad, a grocery store ad, they just chop apart all kinds of food items, glue them on the plate, bring them back to school, and tell us what their worm is eating. So if I get a lot of them back in the day, I have kids share in small groups. If I only have one, they present to the whole class. What you're getting out of that is fine motor cutting skills, parents involved at home in realizing what their kid is really capable of, Um, some families say, oh, you know, my preschooler wants something to do when my older kids are doing homework. Great. Here you go. It is activity-based. It is something that they can do at home that you don't have to have a ton of materials for. And if it's a (coughs) material they wouldn't normally have, send it home. Right? So I send home the plate and the work. When they come back to school, you are working on public speaking. Kids who are shy are never gonna talk in front of that group, but if they're proud of their apple and what they've sent back in their plate, then they're good to go. Then we display it in our room, and then after we're done displaying it, we take it, bind it together with a binding ring, put it in the reading center. Because now kids are reading environmental print. You've got them looking at letters, you've got them looking at familiar things, you've got them flipping pages, turning stories. So you've gotten about 10 good uses out of that one activity. Um, also, one of our other home projects is a reading log every once a month, sometimes twice, Our um, by heart memory verses. So, like, if you use CSI Bible, there is basically one a month. That's about what it amounts to. So we send that home and just say, hey, parents, this is what we've been practicing at school. And then the fourth one is this year um, we're using what we call pick 3 So it's kind of a take on On Track to Kindergarten. Has anyone ever heard of that? On Track to Kindergarten is basically a year long where every week they have a piece of paper. It has a story, it has a gross motor activity, it has a, a nursery rhyme, it has a question, it has a little thing on the back. It can be overwhelming. Some parents love it, some parents don't. So this year we decided to go to pick three. So we send home a little third sheet of paper It has five activities on it, and they pick three of the activities to do. You return it. I give you, like, a sticker or a little sucker or something out of the prize box. Nothing big. Um, But I try to make sure that it has, well, let's see. I think our first five maybe were take a visit to the park, read a story. Read a story is always on there. Um, The other one was play with Play-Doh. Design, I think it was an apple. And... um, The other one was build a tower with your blocks. I forget what else. There was something else. So try to hit a couple of standards and then just tell parents, like, here's some activity ideas if you want. You have some parents that love it. Our (laughs) sign-in goes with putting up papers, putting up our names and pictures on the board. That's the beginning of the year. Just follow a routine. Find your picture. Tell me you're here at school. As we go on, it might be um, like last year. We were really focusing on some letters. Um, So it had a board, yes, no. Does your name have the letter? And it would have our letter of the week on it. And they would have to put it in the yes side or the no side. So we could talk about who had more, who had less, a yes or no, Um, and you knew kids who were able to match letters then. As we go throughout the year though, and once we've done our journaling with all those pre-writing strokes and making shapes, we start doing that for our sign-in. I end up having their name template on a little sign-in sheet. It looks like a box much like this with their name on it, and underneath they're making a tally mark. The next day they come, they're making a tally mark. The next day they come, they're making a tally mark. and We progressively go through making curved lines, straight lines. And then we start doing um, make a heart, make a triangle, make a square. If you're here today, make while squares are hard, do rectangles. Um, and then we go into name writing. Sign in by writing your name under yours. So we progressively go that way. Recess. I have this on here because if I don't put it, we two things happen. One, we take out nothing because I forget and it just does not go well. Our storage shed is not by our playground. It's not very fun. Or two, my kids ask for the same thing all the time, right? They always want the bikes out. Now, if you are, have ever been evaluated by Eckers or the state, <laughs> have you done that? Okay. Um, that they want everything out all the time. I have a problem with that because if you have everything out all the time, they always play with their favorite thing. Now, you don't want to never have anything out, and you don't always want to have the same things out, but you do want to make it so that kids who will never touch a ball will go pick that up, or you'll never see your assessment for throwing and catching and kicking, right? But if you always have balls out, there are kids who will never go on a balance beam or on a romper stumper, and you'll never get the balance part of it. So, my my advice would be plan out your recess materials. Just take a quick minute and do it. If I have anything I want, want to specifically use for a transition time, I write it in there. And any reminders that I've got for who goes where or what they're doing, go in there as well. Um, so there's my gross motor. Then what I do is now I've gotten basically everything planned out for the month. Right? I go through each week and I write down what I need to pull and what I need to prep. So I used to have it split by what I pull and prep, um, but now I do not. I just go through, here's what I need to pull for Bible and make copies of and create. Here's the things I need to do for deep play, for recess, for centers, um, and I can go through and quick write those lists out for the month. Here's the benefit of this. Um, Once you repeat a theme, The things that you prepped and copied are just ready to go. You should be able to just pull them for the next year, so that's helpful. Here's how we try to keep our month-long themes engaging and uh, exciting for kids. So if you follow the checklist, you can plan for a variety of activities and hit as many benchmarks as possible. You can extend that learning through all of those things. We choose project-based learning activities, especially in the afternoon. So for instance, during the month of circus, a large chunk of my afternoons is going to be based on the book 21 Elephants and Still Standing. It's a The story is actually too high for preschool, so you have to paraphrase it. But the theory is that um, it also incorporates social studies because Back in the day, they were testing bridges in New York, and the circus was in town. They said, uh, a little girl said, look, I know you're scared to go on this bridge, and it is, you know, intimidating because it was super long. But she said, if it can hold 21 elephants, you can drive a car across this, right? So the circus sent 21 elephants across the bridge, and it was still standing. So we take that story, and we talk about bridge building." So you are now not just studying circus, you are also studying engineering and getting your STEM in there. So we read the story. We refer back to our September building towers where we built with three blocks and four blocks. We spend a couple days building bigger, higher towers that also get longer. And then we experiment with wafting them and raising them up like a bridge. And then we also take 21 stuffed animals and weigh them. What kind of weight does our bridge need to support? How can we do this? And then we actually build a bridge and try to get it to hold 21 of our stuffed animals. Mm-hmm. Then we take pictures along the way, turn it into a little iMovie, and watch the movie when we finish. And we can set up, um, send those home, and then to incorporate arts and creativity. At the end of that, they, with a partner or with the whole class, depending on what kind of group you have for the year. They can either create a poster of the bridge with a partner or you take out big bulletin board paper and they collaborate on making the bridge. Okay, who's gonna draw this part? Who's gonna draw which stuffed animal on top of it? And we create a picture documenting what we did. So we often do that in the afternoon though because I do not have time to do that with my morning kids. Um, And I also have a bit of a smaller group typically, but not this year. So here's the other thing. Repeat activities. Just because you used it once doesn't mean you can't do it again. When you're building in your month-long planning, introduce an activity in week one or two, and in week three or four, repeat it. Do it again. Build yourself a day in your month where the very last day of the month, you have maybe, I don't call them centers, but call them stations, where you take out all of your activities tied to that month You lay them out, and kids pick which one they want to go back to again, because then you get intentional time. And again, it fills in your time where you're repeating and getting more depth. Um, Something I forgot to mention, I kind of touched on it briefly at the beginning. You should not be putting a material in your center if you have not introduced it in some other form throughout the, the month. So you either need to use it at table toys, a time where they can just be free playing with it. Um, You need to model it at a circle time and say, hey, this is how we use this, here's how we do it, it's gonna be in your center. That's probably the least ideal. The other would be you use it in a group learning time or in a guided discovery time. And if you haven't used them in there, chances are your kids are not going to use them during their free learning time because they just don't know it's there and they've not been exposed to it. It's not on their radar. We do that cooking activity once a month, tied to our theme. This year we're going to be doing an apple potluck. Pray for us, because this one is intense. Not, they're not all that intense. Next month we're taking a scoop of ice cream, putting on a sugar cone hat. They make the face, so we're talking about position words. Um, we're talking about where to put the cone, and that is their cooking. And then we document it with a sheet. What did it look like to make your ice cream cone? How did it turn out for your clown? So, um, retelling. When you do a week or two unit, you don't have time to retell. So read your stories more than once. Do not read them one time. You wanna read them at least twice officially um, as a group time, either at circle time, guided discovery, small group. Then you can put it in either a book basket for transitions or your reading center or your listening center. Ideally, you wanna even read it more than that. Three times would be even better. But every month, we try and do a retelling of a story. And so you can make those uh, with a whole bunch of materials. If you Google retelling, there are probably a billion ways to do it. Um, Home projects, here's another example of our home project. We'll be doing this in January. We do the study of the beach in January because it's super fun to do it not in the season you're in. Just because you do the beach doesn't mean you have to do it in June, okay? So we send home a cardstock paper outline of all kinds of things you would find at the beach. And each kid gets a different one. Sometimes we overlap. There may have been two umbrellas, um, depending on how many kids you have. And you just tell parents, decorate this however you want. Whatever looks like It would be fun if you have glitter, if you have sequins, if you have sand. Um, This student right here for the sand castle actually glued sand to a sand castle. It was really textured and fun. Cut it out, do whatever you want. When you bring it back to school, we'll put it on our beach bulletin board. And it was, I mean, the kids would go look at it and touch it all the time. It was a great sensory one. So if you can incorporate home projects into your classroom, that also helps (laughs) extend learning. Family Involvement Days. How many of you do family involvement during class? Two, I'm jealous. I came from a district where we would have them about every other month and that would be our class time. It would be take a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a mom, a dad, a sibling who's over 18 um, and they would come and rotate through stations we would have a math center, a reading center, a science center, a snack center, and usually an art center. And it was all tied to our theme. So um, I can't remember if I gave you. Do you have this in your packet? I don't know if I gave it to you. I wasn't thinking we would get this far. So here's what happened. Um, we would label out our stations. So this one was for dinosaur. We would give every family a passport when they came in, and it was kind of open house style. You would take your passport, visit each station, get it stamped when you did the station, and rotate through as a family. And the whole point was parents are doing this with their child. And so each teacher was kind of encouraging families to do that. Now that district was um, very low income, high risk, 98% poverty level. Uh, they needed that to be during the day. They needed their families in school because they weren't coming for other things. So this was a real low-pressure way to get them in and doing that. And it was all tied to dinosaurs. So it was like digging for dinosaur fossils, making a dinosaur snack, reading a dinosaur book, um, creating dinosaur footprints and their own fossils. So if you can do those during your day and you have an opportunity to, I would encourage you, get your families in for those kinds of days. And then, of course, if you can, take a field trip, get off campus, find a way to go out and do actual real world, world exploring. So here's how um, I implement centers at the beginning of the year so you can function in, uh, in your classroom. The whole goal is that I'm going to first introduce you to materials. So the first time we go into centers, my aide takes half the class, I take half the class. We are in one center, she's in another. We are in that center, and I am somewhat modeling, demonstrating, pointing out some things that are in there, and then letting them go to town. But they have to stay in that center with me. I want you here, this is what we're exploring, this is what we're learning with. Halfway through our center time, we sing a cleanup song. Here's why. Because... Well, two reasons. Number one, they're coming from a place where they probably have not been asked to have that much attention span. Right? They're not going to make it the full hour in any center yet because parents, what i found recently is that parents have a short attention span, and so their kids then have a short attention span because the parents are pulling them to the next thing before a kid is actually really ready. So we'll clean up. Also, I want to be supervising where you put things all bins are labeled, all supplies are labeled, and I want to make sure that you are sorting out those things and putting them back on the shelf. By the way, if you have a kid who can clean up in a center and you've watched them clean up, assess them for sorting one way. They have sorted out all their materials. That counts as your assessment. So then it also gives me a chance to tell them, oh, you know what? I don't think that's a good idea with that toy. Let's try again or let's use it this way so that I can put boundaries on what is acceptable for using it and what is not. So then um, we're making sure they're exploring. If you aren't in a center with kids, they're not gonna do much more than what they just kind of naturally come up with. You might have a really creative kid, that kid will go. But if you aren't in those centers at the beginning, they will say, I'm done. And so you go to them and say, okay, what else could you do with this? How else can we learn with this? Or if you have a kid who has no idea, you are then showing them another way to use it. So cleanup procedure and then your goal as you're going through this process is that you are taking your hands off slowly so that they're getting more independent. So the first almost two weeks, my aide and I are doing that with different centers each day. We are cleaning up, swapping two centers. It takes about five days to get through all of my centers. So after two weeks, I have been in a center with them every single day. The next split is that I am going to take my groups and instead of dividing them in half, they're into four groups, right? So my aide is supervising two groups, I'm supervising two groups, and my two groups are in centers that are next to each other. So that I can be between those centers I'm not necessarily in there with them but I am able to make sure that this center is using their materials properly in this one and that they're learning and prompting those engaging questions and extending learning making sure that when they switch they have all cleaned up because cleanup is the worst especially in the manipulative center or the blocks where you have a billion things in those centers so we divide into those four groups and watch them switch for the next two weeks. After that, then I introduce center tags. How many of you limit how many kids can be in a center at a time? Perhaps to you. Here's what you find. If you don't, every kid goes to the same center every time, right? Top two centers they want to be in? Dramatic play, Dramatic play and? blocks. And so um, there's just not enough space to really do good learning when you have 10 kids in a center, unless you have a room the size of Texas, which I'm guessing we all don't. So I have a center name card, and underneath I have anywhere from two to four pockets, library pockets. They can put their name in those pockets, stay there, learn. When they're done, they can clean up and leave. Now, we're not to that point yet. The fifth week, they are putting their name in the pocket and still staying where they are until we switch together, okay? If the pocket is full, I'm really sorry, you have to pick a different center. There are enough open pockets that you can go to a different place. That final week, they can take their card and they can go wherever they want if there's an open pocket and you and your aid are still circulating the room, but by now, they have figured out how to put their name in, they figured out how to learn in a center, they figured out how to clean up, and they figured out how to move. You're just making sure that they are doing that on their own. Then after those six weeks, you can start running your small groups. And they should be pretty independent. You might still have one or two that can't make it through. So um, my goal today was not to sell you anything. Um, but if you are looking for resources and materials and you want access to some of those things you are more than welcome to visit my teachers pay teacher store I teach freely on there it has the three-year scope and sequence with all of the things that go through the checklist for planning if you were here yesterday, we did a presentation on circle time. It has the entire curriculum for that and bundles, and it broken out into bundles in case you don't need ideas for all of it. And then these are, oh, Circus is actually up. These are my month-long units, um, and they're, they're ready to rock. So if, if you would um, have need for those ready to go and you don't wanna have to put the time into creating them, you are welcome to them. Uh, but my hope for today was that you come away with some ideas that you can use from the presentation where you don't have to purchase anything and that you can take some strategies back to your classroom. So, any questions? Will you say the name of that lady who did the deep play? What was her name? Yes, Jackie Cobbs. Okay. And her Teachers Pay Teacher store is Pocket of Preschool. Okay, I got that part, but didn't get the name. Yep. Thank you. Yep, sure. In fact, I have a sample of her thing it's at the back of my apples unit. You, you can see one of those in there. Because we did we used it for this month. Anything else that you have a question about? Yeah. I have a question like back to your like the first small to the small groups. Yes. So do you do the same thing for a couple days in a whole then you can't skip or do you do yes you rotate them through all the kids in the same day like for half of the kids so I can get through 20 kids in two days with an aide I have one group and my aide has another group and the next day we have the other half of the children but you're doing two different activities we're doing usually like Monday, Tuesday we're both doing journaling it's the same journaling with four groups of kids two each day then on Wednesday and Thursday we're getting through all 20 kids on Um, like the math small group and then Friday I don't run a group I want them all in play for the entire time if possible I try not to pull them out of that they have to have an hour in play or here's the thing they don't get engaged in what they're doing they do what we call center hopping which is not allowed in my classroom you may not take a toy off the shelf put it down make a mess and leave you have to actually do something with that material before you can go on So, and you'd be surprised, by the end of the year, there are kids who stay in one center the entire time because they really find that they they love learning that way. I have a kid right now who is making a creation book, and he goes and gets him a kid's Bible and goes to the art center and sits down and has been working his way through the days. And it is the coolest thing. And he spends all his time there. Eventually he'll have to leave, but, you know, until then. It's fun. Anything else? What is a romper? They're like the stilts. Have you, it's, um, remember the old coffee cans and they used to attach ropes to them? Yes. They call them romper stampers now. You can buy them in plastic. Gotcha. And they raise you up maybe six inches. <laughs> yep. Okay. Enough to trip and fall, roll an ankle if you're over 20. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? All right. Thanks for coming. We've got like five minutes, and then we're off to. Miss. If you want to stay, you can do make and take. We'll be making anchor charts, a creation book, uh, crazy color creatures. What else? A whole bunch of stuff. A whole bunch of things that you can use any time of the year. So thank you for coming.